This is My Playbook. I'm Simon Mundy, and in this podcast, created by Greenhouse Sports, we'll be hearing from a host of inspiring people about who and what inspired, supported, and encouraged them during difficult moments. We'll find out what they've learned along the way, as well as what they want to share and pass on. Greenhouse Sports is the charity that uses sport to help disadvantage young people and communities. Their core belief is that every child deserves opportunities and a fair chance to get on in life. And through Greenhouse's coaches and partners, they look to make that a reality. The work they do is about encouraging young people through sport and teaching them the life skills they need. 2022 is Greenhouse's 20th anniversary. And over the last 20 years, the charity has helped more than 50,000 children in London, but there are a further 4 million children across the UK right now that they would like to help. And if you'd like to find out more about their work and how you could help support another generation of young people, please head to greenhousesports.org to find out more. In the meantime, to this episode in which I speak to Greenhouse Sports Director of Coaching, Jason Sugru. Jason was an elite table tennis player who was introduced to the sport by his dad, who was sadly murdered when Jason was just 12. The journey that Jason's been on and the lessons he's learnt along the way are so powerful. In this episode, Jason redefines success and explains the power of helping other young people in life. Yes, coaching elite performers, it's seen as elite, but coaching the children that we work with to become elite human beings is more important than any trophy I could ever win. It was a pleasure talking to Jason, and I hope you enjoy our conversation. Hi, my name is Jason Sugru. I'm a director of coaching for Greenhouse Sports, a sport for development charity. I was trawling through your social media, Jason, and I know you love a good quote. And one that stuck out for me is, a good coach can change a game. A great coach can change a life. 100%. I mean, my journey has been fun. So I'm an ex-British champion. So I played to a fairly decent level, travelled the world and, and experienced lots of things and always coached a little bit as a hobby and learned quite early, actually, that I could influence games just from my experience and my knowledge quite quickly if I needed to. But actually, the true art form to coaching is being able to help that young athlete or young person help themselves. I believe in building independent young people and independence doesn't necessarily mean you can go and stand on your own two feet it means that you're able to identify when you need support and when you don't need support so that quote really embodies most of that you said you've had a fun journey but it's been a very difficult journey too and we're going to get on to that but you touched on the levels you reached in your table tennis so just a quick resume of your career well i played in everything except the olympics so world's europeans commonwealth games Played in four different countries in, in a league format, so the same as playing in the football league, if you like. Learned more about the world through my table tennis. I was men's singles champion, uh, British champion, 10 times British league champion, if you like. So winning the Premier Division, I was captain of the club that my father started when I was a young boy. And we went on to become the most dominant table tennis club in history, I think, for 10 years. But the most important part of that journey was um, I've done it always from having a sort of community club background. Which has been, you know, the fun part of the journey, I suppose. In terms of the impact on your life, in terms of you reaching your potential and in terms of you now passing that on to other people, 80,000 young people who are benefiting from the work that you and Greenhouse do. 
How much of an impact can sport have and has it had for you? For me personally, I'd say table tennis saved my life. It gave me a focus. It taught me how to be resilient, how to deal with setbacks. I think in order to be good at something, you need a level of consistency and time. It sport makes that very transparent, if you like, uh, especially for young people. Everybody knows that to be really good at sport, you have to put in the time. And the way the world has changed in terms of, you know, programs like X Factor and not knocking them and TikTok and, and these things, they also show kids that if you're smart enough, you can make a lot of money very quickly. So there's that type of success. But actually, it's not realistic because you never see all the work that goes into that process. Whereas sport, there is no denying the amount of hours you have to put into that process. So sport is hugely influential in helping young people in particular understand the effort that comes out. Often you have to have put in a lot of work before. And that can transfer into different parts and of you, their lives. And you said that sport saved your life, Jason. Let's go a little bit back in time now. And can just start out by explaining what it was like for you growing up in London. So my, my mother, she's from the countryside in Ireland. And she met my biological father at the time and got pregnant very early with my oldest brother. Didn't get to finish school and then had my middle brother and then myself. The relationship she had with my biological father was a very fractious one, a very difficult one. And it meant that she ended up running away to England and took us three boys with her to West London and lived in um, in a woman's refuge for a while. And then eventually got rehomed in Labrick Grove area, where she met who I call my father, who's a really inspirational part of my life. Buxton Williams, his name was who was a, a Jamaican, not long landed in London himself via New York. And I think they fell madly in love. And Buxton was a, a very keen table tennis player. So we grew up in West London for a long part of our lives. And in that time, Buxton started building a cleaning company. And one day he was um, in a school that he got a contract with and he bumped into another quite inspirational person in my life, at a gentleman who called John Kaufman. And we're walking along this corridor and, and John Kaufman, an Australian humanities teacher, I think he was. And John was carrying this box of old table tennis bats and nets and they started talking. And then, boom, next thing you know, this magical table tennis club was in its infancy. And there was a lot of school kids going there in Wilsdon High School, which grew and became the sort of heart of table tennis in the west of London. And I actually didn't go to the school, but would leave my school and travel to come and play at the club. Absolutely loved the game and watching my father coach and teach other people along with John. The club was not your traditional table tennis club is probably the best way to describe it. What does that mean? So we had all walks of life in there and people from different backgrounds, lots of different communities. And table tennis, I suppose, in those times might have been seen as a little bit of a stiff sport, maybe. And maybe it didn't quite have the colourful background that it now portrays, if that makes sense. So it's quite an urban sport now and quite hip and you see it in a lot of bars and stuff. But back in the old days, it probably was a little bit more like a private member's sport, except for this Progress Table Tennis Club, which had everyone in there that couldn't get into every other club. So it was good fun. You never knew your natural father, shall we say, but Buxton, you call him dad, you know, for good reason. What are your sort of strongest memories of your relationship with him and the time you spent together nothing but fond memories he was so brilliant with me a young white kid with really bright blonde hair and he's obviously afro-caribbean um with an afro 
we used to look like Tweedledum and Tweedledee, I'd imagine, walking around the place in, in the table tennis world. But he was incredibly positive, pushed me, always wanted the best for me, called me his son wherever we went. And sometimes we would go to West Indian communities or when we traveled to see his family in Jamaica. I was always his son. I was never his stepson. And he was all I ever knew, actually, from my very early years. I believed he was my father. It was only as I got really much older. So the way he looked after me, the way he looked after our family was was probably some of the best memories and influences he had on me was just make me sure that it doesn't matter how things look. It's much more about how things are. He obviously really pushed you to be your best at your sport. He really did. I mean, he wanted the best for everyone within our club, but obviously he probably wanted a little bit more for me. He pushed me incredibly hard. He showed me the importance of hard work, commitment to anything you do. We would often go and watch some of the best players around the country how they acted, how they conducted themselves. I learned that from a very early age and Buxton enabled that. Let's fast forward then a little bit till when you were 12 years old. You were away training abroad at table tennis and were due to sort of come back and was expecting Buxton to meet you as he always did. So I had gone away, I think, just after... Summer holidays had started so very early July in China. We're talking about 1993, I think it was. So it's a long time ago. No mobile phones, that's for sure. I was the on the other side days. of the yes, I was on the other <laughs> side of the world the year before. Got to number two in the country for my age, so pushed off, and I was away in China. Um, you know, phoned home a few times, couldn't get through to him. And in these days, like I said, there was no. Uh, mobile so we didn't have too much communication the end of the training block had finished and I came back to London and I remember my mum picking me up from the airport and I was so excited to tell Buxton how it had all been and all gone and me and Buxton were thick as thieves I mean I probably saw my mum 10% of my life and me and Buxton were together 90% so um, it was unusual for him not to be there to meet and greet but didn't think too much of it Um, left the airport to go back very somber mood I remember it being in the car but got back to um, Buxton's mum's house my grandma and his car and van were there his work van was there his car was there so I was like pleased as punch ready to go in uh, and tell him all about it but nowhere to be seen so we left there after a while and went back up home and my mum was terribly upset about something I couldn't work out what my auntie came in and and started talking to me and it was at that point they told me that Buxton had, had, had been murdered Tell us what happened and who took his life. So uh, Buxton um, originated from quite a tough part of Kingston, Jamaica, and he had a community of friends in London that I knew very well. One of them was a very good close family friend. His name was Chris, and he was always around and was quite a good friend, but but different in terms of how Buxton was. I could see there was a difference in, in the way Chris and Buxton were, but they knew each other from childhood. Chris was involved in some pretty bad stuff. He was part of a gang, quite a notorious gang in the West Indian community. And he had owed some money to somebody and they wanted the money. And he said he had borrowed it to Buxton and that he would get it returned. What had actually happened is is that there was no money um, after an investigation by the police. But he, um, he shot Buxton five times in the head progress table tennis club but in the main building not in the sports hall um so buxton and john were 
sitting down in between a coaching session and Chris had not long come in and was sitting on the bench and they normally go across to the school to make a cup of tea. So um, Chris and, and Buxton had gone over. And then at that point, while Buxton had his back turned, he was shot in the back of the head. And just by coincidence at that time, my mum was going down to the club um, and she saw him coming out of the main building and wiping down the door handle. And she noticed that as Chris turned around, he had lots of blood on him. And she said, well, you know, what have you done? And where's Buxton? And and then Chris ran off. So without my mum actually seeing him come out of the building, maybe we would never have known it was him. He did get caught. He was sentenced at the Old Bailey. It was a quite long court case. Yeah, it, it was it was a shock to everybody. Um, still is, actually. You've told me before that your memory, actually, from that period is very sketchy. So it clearly traumatised you hugely. Yeah, I, I just remember my auntie telling me at the time that, and I ran out of the house. And actually, I have a blank in my mind. Um, I've tried to to talk through it with various different people at different times in my life. But I have a, a almost 24-hour gap in my memory about what happened next. But I just remember being picked up by the police in northwest London, them sort of taking me home, if you like. It was very traumatic. And, um, yeah, yeah, I still don't know to the day what I did for that 24 hours. Obviously, we've all been through COVID and lockdown and we've been forced to be a bit more still. And lots of people have had emotions bubble to the surface and that's something that you went through related to what happened when you were 12 exactly right um we all had a lot more time on our hands to reflect and and think about the world and it really hit home to me you know what had happened it just dawned on me that I, i was ashamed i've not really told my story ever because I felt embarrassed by the fact that my dad was murdered. I don't know if that makes sense, but mm. but to me, I didn't want people to know that because it would have permutations on who I am and what I look like and how I am. I had depression during lockdown quite early and, and had some quite negative thoughts about my own life. Um, you know, some of that was to do with, was I to blame? Would I be at home and so on and so forth? So I've talked it through. I had some counselling. I had some help. I now can process the whole thing a little bit better. It's still incredibly traumatic. Let's not beat around the bush. I mean, the impact it had on my family. My mum and sister had to move to Ireland because they were fearful for their life because they had to give evidence in court. It was quite a difficult situation for a long period of time and they were in protective custody. Really had a massive impact on our family life and the way we were. I really had to go down into my soul and bring some of that stuff out. And now I'm, I'm much more comfortable and feel like the stuff you go through, you grow through. And I finally feel like I've, I've grown through some of the stuff I've gone through rather than be a victim of it. Not a surprise at all how traumatising something like that would be. To what degree did what happened, you know, fuel you or hinder you in terms of your sport? My journey thereafter, after Buxton died, in the first period, I mean, everybody was a bit lost. And I remember people were not sure about whether or not we should stop the club or restart the club. And, and to give John Kaufman some credit, he made the club live on and kept it going through some really difficult times and still continued to get better. And, and he became actually a little bit more of a mentor in Buxton's place and really pushed me and helped me to keep going and, and try and fulfill my dreams. And I suppose it took probably about six months, maybe a bit longer to start using some of the anger I felt to the world as fuel for the fire. 
And once I started to use it as fuel for the fire, I became quite tenacious in my approach to wanting to be good. I was probably sometimes quite a difficult character to work with for the England coaches. I remember having a sports psychologist work with me to help me through what I thought was some table tennis guidance, but actually he was helping me with some coping mechanisms that I could use through the sport of table tennis to help me channel my life in a way that allowed me to still continue training, continue improving and practicing. And then times were difficult financially. Buxton wasn't expecting to be taken from us. We didn't have anything in terms of finances in place for when he was gone. It was difficult for my mum to support me at tournaments, so I would often go everywhere on my own. It was difficult emotionally because I didn't have support, so I would often go to tournaments and have no coach in my corner. But, yeah, navigating it all, I still managed to get into the England team every year. But when it was time coming to the big championships, which might have been all over Europe or wherever they were, it was easier to leave Jason out because he didn't have his parents spending a lot of money on a train ticket or plane ticket. So when I got to about 18, I, I kind of stopped playing. I got so fed up with not being picked for things. I had this period of time away from table tennis and was pursuing a new career. I hated sitting behind the desk and really wasn't enjoying it. And it was by chance I'd just bumped into John Kaufman again. And John said, you know, you are wasting all of the talent that you've put in and all the effort you've put in to get to where you are as a table tennis player. Why don't you come and hang out with me and coach a little bit? Uh, and look at what I'm doing, and then we can see if it's something you're interested in. He'd given up his humanities teacher for table tennis, so he was coaching himself and, and traveling around schools to build these little programs. And it just so happened then I started doing the same. I ended up doing the job of the person I most despised. And one of your first coaching assignments was to coach at the place in the spot where Buxton had been murdered. So... Wilson High School it was contacted me and said, you know, would you be interested in coming and doing some coaching at our school? You know, I jumped at the chance, actually. Uh, I remember the first day walking in, and it's literally through the front doors, and the office was to the right where they made the cup of teas. I remember walking past it and looking at the exact spot where Buxton lost his life and ended up working there as a PE teacher for a while. How did it feel being back at the spot where your dad had been murdered? If anything, it, it, I felt closer to him. I felt like I was at home because we'd spent so much time in that school together. And often yeah. I would walk into the hall and deliver sessions and know that we used to sit on that bench and he used to watch me and the odd time shout at me to move my feet a bit quicker or do something. So that actually probably, yeah, help, helped me in a way, I would imagine. Brought me closer yeah. back to him. At what point did you become aware of Greenhouse and what was it that drew you to them? Great question. So um, table tennis being a sport it is, and it's unfortunately not football and you're not a millionaire unless you're probably in the top 10 in the world, meant that I had to subsidise my playing career. So I would often coach to do that. And one day uh, I got a phone call, a life-changing phone call now when I think about it, from a gentleman called Alan Sherwood. We used to go and hit some balls together from time to time in, in a local sports centre, you know, 20 odd years ago, early 2000s. And I talked to him about my table tennis career and started to go into coaching a little bit more. And, and he just started a very small charity called Table Tennis for Kids that would later go on to murder a greenhouse sports. And he said, you know, where coaches are working in schools or clubs, we'll match fund it. But we won't match fund it in price, we'll match fund it in hours. So if the school are going to pay you for two hours of your time, we'll match that and make it four hours so that the schools can get double the time for half the price. And that was how... The journey started in the very early days with Table Tennis for Kids, which merged with Greenhouse Sports. 
What was it that really made you commit to them? Because am I right in saying that you were approached by England Table Tennis or even Team GB to work with their elite performers? Absolutely, yeah. So I got a full-time contract with Greenhouse and I was based in one school in, in Ealing, a school called West London Academy. And my passion for coaching meant that the school became the number one school in the country for table tennis. We had lots of national team players. And then Table Tennis England contacted me to become a high-performance centre for the South region. So after the day job had finished, the school that I worked at became the high-performance centre for South East. So we had players travelling from all over the South East twice a week to come and train in my sessions. So I did that for a number of years, and lots of those players went on to become Olympic Paralympic medalists inside that group, current England number one woman, number two woman as well. Um, so we did quite well. And then that was probably sort of 2008, nine when I was just finishing my playing career, got to about 220 in the world um, and decided juggling coaching and table tennis was no longer what I wanted to do. What I wanted to do is I wanted to put my eggs into the coaching basket. So I did that. And then at that point, I was put onto by Table Tennis England, a fast track, high level performance coaching. I was identified as one of the top coaches in the country. And as soon as that had finished, then I went on to the Olympic Ambitions Programme, which was building up to the London 2012 Games. So I was at the London 2012 Games, shadowing with the plan that I was then going to be taken over for 2016, if you like. And all of this time that the London Games were going on and I was there, we were running a, a camp for Greenhouse in North London. And I couldn't stop thinking about not being in the hall with all these Olympic athletes, but being back at this school program with all the kids that are from Greenhouse. And I just couldn't stop thinking about these kids. And it was at that point I realised that while this was great to be a, an elite performance coach, if you like, my passion was with these kids that I know so well, the kids that don't have everything every day, understanding their characters and the difficulties they're going through and the importance of sport has in their life. And it just made me realise, actually, do you know what? Elite performance is okay. I do enjoy it, still enjoy it from time to time, but it's not what gets me out of bed in the morning. It's not the things that when things are going hard that I really feel inspired to do. And I ended up leaving some days early or when I had a free hour or a free couple of hours, I would quickly run up the road and watch our kids in their own summer camp. And I got my Olympic kit on and I'm going in the hall. So it was probably quite good and inspiring for them. But that was the point I really realised, actually. My heart is here. Not many people, I think, would make a decision like that to swap you know, potential, quote unquote, glory for lifting people up. Yeah, you know, I'm, I'm a firm believer that, yes, coaching elite performers, it's seen as elite. But coaching the children that we work with to become elite human beings is more important than any trophy I could ever win. Coaching them to understand that working hard in sport, being able to put in that graft can relate to different parts of your life, whether that be friendships, whether that be home life. There is nothing more empowering than that for me. There is nothing more a gold medal could ever give me than knowing that someone that's been on our program has learned some life skills and been given some different opportunities that might not be afforded to them without our greenhouse program being in their school. So for personal glory, I would get no more satisfaction from winning a medal at an elite level than just making sure one kid has a good opportunity. None. Zero. 
to what degree do you think you are paying it forward from the support and the mentorship and the kindness that people like Buxton, like John, like the psychologist who helped you, to what degree do you think the impact they had on you is part of the reason you are now so committed to having a positive impact on so many other people who need it? Ah, it's huge. I mean, I, I want to throw my mum in there as well because my mum grafted for years after and those values definitely lined up quite nicely with John's, Buxton's um, and how it moulded me. There will always be rain, but it's about making sure there's some flowers after the rain. That part of me passing things forwards is the message I want to give. I don't want to tell people that, no, it will be okay. There's been times in your life when it's not okay. There'll be times in growing up where things will feel real heavy and they will be real heavy, but that's okay. You know, it's about how you make sure you get up the next day and you go again. And one of my favorite sayings is that to jump high, some days you have to bend real low. They sound like, you know, quite quirky things to say or quite easy things to say, but it's not, it's just the reality of life. And those are the same for anybody. And I mean that it doesn't matter who you are, where you come from, your background, life will get hard. And being able to make sure that you have the resilient confidence to keep pushing on and keep going. And some days you might put down the bat or you might put down the ball or you might not want to do it. That's okay too. But just know that there's a big enough team around you, lots of people that can support you and help you. And that's the message I want young people to understand and the people we work with and the coaches that we work with and the people that fund us as a charity and the people that support us. We are incredibly ambitious to make sure that every child that we do work with has a real good positive experience and they can learn from successes and failure alike. What John taught me, my mum taught me, Buxton taught me was that you just got to keep going and while you keep going, be the best you can be and bring as many people on that journey with you as you possibly can. The work that Greenhouse does, how important is it? How valuable is it? If you imagine you're a young kid in London and maybe life at home is quite difficult for whatever circumstances, the things where I get my most consistency are not because of a lack of effort from parents, but the things where I get my most consistency is from a school. And then in the school where I've got this consistency in my life where I know what time I'm going to have my breaks, I know what time my subjects are, I know what time I'm going to get fed, then I have this mentor who not only is going to push me to be better in my subjects, but he's going to push me to be better in how I walk around the school, how I look, how I interact with other people, how I do dip low to jump high, how I do respond to setbacks. I have this mentor who is absolutely dedicated to making sure that I can be the best I can be and will challenge me and encourage me and sometimes give me some tough love that maybe I don't have the time from, from parents. And also, Sport has changed. It's not easy to access clubs. They're expensive. But you've got this coach in your school who's providing all of those opportunities for you. And then on top of that, if I get fairly good, Greenhouse is smart enough and they've worked it out that they can provide me with different opportunities. So whether that be having the opportunity to become a elite athlete or whether it be employability and they've got partners that they work with, whether that be corporate banks or people who are kind enough to give us their time, that I can go and get some direct mentorship away from sports. I mean, we can't measure that. You can't measure that. It's impossible to measure it. But what do I feel about the difference? I've been here 20 years. 
And I'm more passionate now than I've ever been. I could stay for another 20 because the better we get, hopefully the further and more children we can work with and reach and the more coaches we can educate to help change the way we work with young people. You know, it's so important not just to look at a student as a grade or if they're in an athlete terms as a medal. They're far more than that. And them understanding that and the sooner they can understand that they've got that support can only help the world be a better place, not just a kid from a greenhouse program. Finally, Jason, what do you think Buxton would make of the journey you've been on since he died and where you are now? It's a good question. Choke me up a little bit. Um, oh, it's a good one. I hope he'd be proud. I hope he'd be proud. That's it. The boy done good. I would like that. Thank you for listening to this episode of My Playbook with Jason Sugru. As I mentioned at the start, 2022 is Greenhouse Sports' 20th anniversary. Please do check out the incredible work they do by visiting greenhousesports.org. And if you'd like to get involved and help, please do get in touch. All the details are on their website. And please do share, rate and review this episode wherever you can. Thank you very much for listening. And until next time, goodbye. Goodbye.